This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio. It's the show all about you and your rights. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Go. Hello, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Liz. I hope your weekend was good. I hope the time change hadn't thrown you off too much. I I will continue to say that really now the show is like it's on at nine instead of 10 for a while. You know, it takes a while to adjust to the time change forward, but I hope everybody's doing well. Um, and we're really excited to welcome back to the show Max Myers, attorney Max Myers from the Mississippi Center for Justice. He's been a, a great guest in the past, and he is the director of the economic justice uh, section of the Mississippi Center for Justice. And Max, good morning. Tell us a little bit about your, your background and your work for MCJ. Cert- certainly. Well, good morning. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you all again. And um, so I'm Max Myers. I'm the director of the economic justice team here at the Mississippi Center for Justice, newly christened uh, economic justice. We're in our 20th anniversary year, uh, and this was one of the uh, ways to commemorate our our anniversary is uh, we rebranded us uh, because realistically the the EJ team as we're calling us um, we do a lot of different work that stretches outside of consumer issues uh, which I'm excited to talk about more in the program before I get into that too much though I'll just share briefly a little bit about myself I'm originally from Michigan came to Mississippi about 13 years ago taught elementary school in the Delta uh, for a number of years before law school and then. Uh, when I graduated, I moved back to the state and joined MCJ and have been uh, doing a little bit of immigration work for my first couple of years on the, on the team and then transitioned into my current role in 2021. And let's, let's talk a little bit about, I, I really was excited to see the change from consumer protection to economic justice. Why did, what was the purpose behind that, that change of the name? What does that signal to everyone? So I, th- I think when I think about economic justice in Mississippi, I I think that it really does span beyond uh, consumer in the sense that it's not just folks, you know, contesting uh, utility bills or dealing with payday lending. Those are both aspects of our program, Uh, you know, in addition to preventing foreclosure and and doing mortgage consultants. But also really, you know, when you look at the history of of Mississippi and so much of the injustice that's taken place here uh, at the hands of, of leadership, it's been, uh, you know, primarily based in uh, racial injustice and then also economic injustice. And both of those aspects are cornerstones of the work that MCJ does, uh, working to dismantle the legacies of both of those forms. And so when you look at economic justice in the state, um, it really means, you know, making sure that folks are getting good deals on, uh, or, you know, good, or good good access on uh, home loans or making sure that when they're purchasing a mobile home or a manufactured home that their contracts are actually just. Uh, and those are beyond just you know typical consumer issues, again, like credit cards or light bills, and really more into the, the livelihood and the, the lifeblood of what so many Mississippi, Mississippians depend on here. And we didn't even plan this, but it is Equal Pay Day exactly. 2023 today. Um, it's the 
March 14th is used today is used to represent the current state of gender pay gap, 84% for full-time workers and uh, 77% for all workers of uh, women earning just 84% of a typical man's pay. And I'm, I'm sure that's the national average, and I'd be a little scared to find out what it was, what it would be in Mississippi, because we have a more proportion of black women in our state, and black women get uh, stereotypically get paid less than white women do. So, absolutely, I heard this morning on actually uh, on MPB's uh, Mississippi Today. I, I, I heard. Um, uh, Director Cassandra Welchin from the Black Women's Roundtable talking about that point as well. And I think it was, I think for, for black women in Mississippi, especially, I think it's in the 50% uh, range, which is just shocking and, and abhorrent. Yeah, I think their equal pay day is more like August yeah. or something ridiculous like that. You know, it's, it's interesting too, because I've actually read an editorial by an organization I won't, won't mention saying, well, you know, Medicaid is being abused because people able-bodied people aren't working and that's we are and they're they're taking advantage of the system and that that the, the whole point of economic justice is that's not what's going on they're just not being paid enough or having you know access to health insurance um and so that medicaid provides them that support so we have a lot of able-bodied people who are working but they're not making a living wage and i think that's something that we all need to address and i think the mcj has been addressing and one of the issues that you you uh, and, and MCJ have worked on is predatory lending. You mentioned that before. So t- tell us a little bit about that and, and your efforts there. So Mississippi is one of the states that does not have regulations for uh, payday loans. And, and typically when I say payday loan, I'll define that as a short term. Uh, in Mississippi, it's limited to 30 days. Small dollar, again, in Mississippi, limited to $500 or less loan that people oftentimes end up rolling over. And what that looks like in practice is that people, uh, if you take out a $500 loan, automatically only get back uh, a little bit less than $400. And so that's right off the bat, you're paying close to, uh, you know, 521% APR, for example, in some of these loans. And if you end up rolling those over, a $500 loan can quickly turn into a $6,000 debt. Uh, that folks are stuck with that carries with them until either they get a you know judgment against them in a justice court uh, or have it actually you know skyrocket into getting um, you know their their loans garnished or sorry, their wages garnished at the end of the month and their and their paychecks and um, really you know there was historically in Mississippi about ten years ago there were some protections uh, that that set a ceiling for some of the the APR, uh, the interest rates that folks were actually allowed to charge. Um, that law disappeared in 2013. Unfortunately, it was not renewed. It was a sunset law. Um, and as a result of that, the Mississippi Center for Justice has launched and really worked to refine and, and spread access to uh, the New Roots Credit Partnership, which is our alternative to payday lending. Um, the way that that works is by bringing together an employer, typically, especially in, in some of the smaller towns, and we, we work a lot in the Delta, uh, the largest employers are going to be the municipalities or the county governments, bringing together a, a large employer and a financial institution like a credit union or a bank uh, where they are, where the financial institution is able to provide um, 
on-the-clock on the training for workers. Typically, it's three-hour uh, modules, and at the end of completing this three-hour module, they have access to a small-dollar, low-interest, uh, typically between 5 and 10% uh, longer-term loan paid back over the course of 12 months instead of 30 days um, that people are able to use to pay off an existing payday loan they have, um, or even in some instances just build up their credit scores by having the sort of regularity of paying back these loans. Uh, we've had someone in our Jackson program actually qualify uh, by, they increased their credit score by 20 points in the span of a year, and they qualified to get a mortgage, first family home they were able to purchase, uh, and, it, and it was all because, again, the time that the employer provided for on-the-clock training and then the existence of these small-dollar loans that uh, some of these banks have. So this New Roots uh, Credit Partnership, is this, uh, would they, how would someone go about looking for those if they wanted to participate? So we currently have programs existing in Laurel, uh, Jackson, Greenville, and Indianola. Um, if other, but you know, we are always looking to expand it. And, and I'll say right now we're working, so I'll break this into two parts or two answers basically one we're working to expand knowledge of existing loan programs throughout the state because folks you know should be able to access these uh, programs whether it's through their employer or off the clock just independently by themselves but the issue is there's just not a directory that exists of you know if you live in Amory Mississippi for example I, I wouldn't be able to tell you oh you can go into X bank and ask for this person who will be able to sit you down and do a training with you and then you can get qualified so by the end of this year uh, MCJ is going to produce a um, like a directory that we're able to, to that's going to have statewide information in the meantime though if folks want to get enrolled in New Roots Credit Partnerships reach out to me directly I'll share my contact information uh, now it's 601 709 uh, and I will, you know, if, if you are an employer uh, or if you're a, you know, if you're a bank or a credit union that's listening right now and you have one of these programs, uh, we are always looking for opportunities to to basically bring people together to the table to offer uh, some payday lending alternatives. Well, we would hope that our listeners, uh, we count among our listeners, um, employers and professionals and uh, government workers who you know, might just have the radio on in their office. And if they hear this, it, it would seem like the more financially sound your employees are, uh, the better an employee that they would be. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we've had uh, instances, too, of just sort of um, secondary effects, positive secondary effects of the programs of people being able to get banked, uh, have access to direct deposit as a result of it. Um, I'm not going to say which which city this was, but one of our partners in the past reported to us that less than half of their employees uh, actually use direct deposit, which meant they were getting paper checks. That paper checks, you know, I, from so, I'm an older-fashioned guy in the sense I love a good paper check and, and getting to, you know, cash it and actually have that paper check in my hand. But at the same time, it, unless you have the kind of, uh, of banking institution that actually makes those ca uh, funds available in your account on the spot, having paper checks and depositing them, you're, you're wasting a lot of time as far as being able to access that, and that can lead to overdraft fees if you don't have that money already in your account. So direct deposit uh, and the kind of regularity that it builds up for someone um, really helps folks in the long run. Yeah, a lot of times if you don't already have that amount of money in your account, you don't have access to that check until it clears in three to five business days. So that, that would be fantastic. Folks, you can send us your email with your questions. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. 
We're discussing your rights, um, economic justice, with our guest Max Mayer from the director of of economic justice at the Mississippi Center for Justice. So do you think that this is valuable information to somebody, what we're talking about? Maybe not to you, but do you think it's valuable to somebody? We've got some information that definitely applies to you next. This is in legal terms. Now, not everybody has a chance to listen to our show live. So if you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show from our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. For those who face payday lenders or are looking at foreclosures, the assistance that the Mississippi Center for Justice provides is just wonderful. But if you aren't facing that problem, maybe you can help by joining the fight with the Mississippi Center for Justice. They have a page on their website, MS. CenterForJustice.org, where you can sign up to receive their email updates. And they are thankful for support as they continue to advance racial and economic justice in Mississippi every day. I'll have that link and we'll have our guest's phone number on this show's information. We're talking about economic justice with Max Meyer from the Mississippi Center for Justice. Predatory loans and why, you know, why didn't the legislature extend a cap on on interest rates? And um, I think we were all a little frustrated that maybe it was because there's a good lobby for for predatory lending institutions. So one of the things that we've talked about on the show previously, Liz, is that people can reach out to their legislators and and talk to them about this because that's that's also a place that can make a a you know change and Max you mentioned that what was it New Mexico that just uh yeah. just passed a, a predatory lending law yeah they capped it at uh 36% for uh for payday loans and and I also mentioned payday loans it stretches beyond just the typical you know I go in and sign off my paycheck for next you know for, for the next pay period Mississippi also is in the midst of uh a, an invasion of auto title loans. Uh, those work a little bit differently than payday loans, but I, if, if all right, I'd love to just share some heads up for sure. our listeners. Um, in Mississippi, title loans are capped at $2,000, um, which I think is sort of this, uh, you know, paternalistic idea of, hey, you know, I'm going to limit the amount of money because it's the amount of risk ultimately that you're going to be able to take on the kind of debt that's going to hang over your shoulders. But in reality, what that does is it if whether you have a twenty thousand dollar car or a two thousand dollar car, the maximum amount that you're going to get is two thousand dollars from signing over the title to your to your car loan. Um, and at the end of the day, if you don't pay back that loan, you lose your your car title. The person who has that title, the lender now, is in a position where they're able to hold on to the entire value of your car uh, and, until they sell it. If they if they want to sell it, but if they don't, they just they hold on to that full $20,000 car and you only got 2000 for it. Or if they sell it, they are able to define and set the, the types of fees and the transaction costs, uh, which often we've seen, you know, um, community members come into our office who have had, you know, fees, auction fees set at $10,000, for example, that the seller gets to keep themselves. So um, title, you know, auto title loans, I would say I would put right up there with payday lending as um, sort of a, a, the new frontier of consumer and economic exploitation in our state. 
And as we said, the lobbies are strong there. Certainly. Uh, you know, and so that, you know, it's the strong taking advantage of the weak is what it is. And, I, and I'm glad that there are lawyers in this state, you know, like, like the lawyers in MCJ that will take up that cause and try to, to help with that fight. But we as citizens can also do that uh, with our legislature. Absolutely. Well, let, let's talk a little bit. Let's switch focus a little bit and talk about, um, you know, another important thing, and that is we've gone through, you know, some economic tough times with the pandemic. And now, who knows, we may be facing other you know, economic uh, problems. Uh, a couple of banks have already uh, shut down. We're hoping that that's just, uh, you know, kind of a glitch there. But what, what about uh, foreclosure, the foreclosure process in Mississippi and how MCJ can help uh, forestall at least some foreclosures? So foreclosure in uh, each state looks a little bit differently because uh, states are permitted to define and, and, and script out their own foreclosure procedures. Um, nationally, I like to start with uh, on, on the national level what protections exist for any person with a you know with a mortgage anywhere. And I'll also say before I get started, foreclosure is the process of losing one's house when you own the house through a mortgage. Basically, it's not being able to pay back the loan on your mortgage in a uh, you know in, in the prescribed amount of time, and as a result of that, the the bank or the servicer who owns the the right to your mortgage um, takes you to court in some states, as I'll talk about in Mississippi, which is a non-judicial foreclosure state, meaning that you don't have to go to court. Uh, in Mississippi, the foreclosures are done out of court and just through uh, notice. But again, I'll talk about what those actually time what that timeline looks like, but. Um, it, it, on the national level, uh, there is, and I had to write this down because I'm used to just calling it RESPA. That's the abbreviation for it, but it's the Real Estate Settlement Procedures Act. Um, and on a national level, that ensures some uh, some bare bones protections for homeowners. Uh, things like 120 days minimum before foreclosure periods can start, as well as having uh, notice requirements, which I'll talk about in a moment. Uh, as to when uh, lender, you know, when mortgage companies actually have to get in touch with uh, with homeowners about, you know, letting them know you're X number of days uh, late, or you know, you have X number of days before we can start foreclosure proceedings, uh, as well as requiring escrow accounts, which are um, accounts that that are not it, that are not actually held by the homeowner or the bank. It's sort of like a middleman account where homeowners deposit. Uh, ample amount of money at the outset of the loan so that if there's any kind of dry spell or lack of payment that the lender is able to pull directly from that third party uh, escrow account in order to keep the person in current on their loan. Yeah, so let's t- walk us through, if you would, just a kind of the time frame. You know, so let's say um, I get behind on my loan. I, I, I immediately, as you mentioned, I'm not immediately evicted uh, from my home. Um, but um, what what steps should I take uh, when I do get behind on my loan, if I'm a if I'm a borrower, so the first so on the borrower side of things, the first thing I'll say is um, always make contact with your uh, with your lender, and that a lot of people I think are nervous about getting in touch with their mortgage company because they imagine you know well first of all when you call the very first thing you're going to hear is we are you know from the mortgage company it's going to be a recording saying we are a debt collector anything you say on this call can be used to collect a debt against you when which, so many people don't like talking on the phone exactly, nowadays exactly. anyway I you know I get nervous calling you when they say you know this call is being recorded and monitored and I think oh my goodness this is going to you know outlive me I am worried what what I'm going to say here but you know I I'll say that the uh, that you know, that aside, really getting in touch with your mortgage company at the outset and, and on the early side um, can get you uh, involved with some 
lifelines that exist specifically to keep people in their homes. So don't be shy about it. Right. Be I'm sure people would feel bad about being late with their payments, but if you just hide under a pillow, that's not going to help you I was going to say, Liz, sometimes when they say uh, this call is going to be recorded, I respond with, good, it needs to be, (laughs) they need to record this. That's right, Hopefully they all listen to it a lot. Right, right. And then that's the one they never use. I, and, and, and really, I mean, I think, you know, it, it just and, you know, just like you all are saying, it can help in both ways, because there are certain things that the mortgage company is supposed to be telling you. You know, if you're on the phone with the, with an agent from the mortgage company, they have certain uh, disclaimers that they that they're required by law, by RESPA to tell the lender, uh, as well as pursuing particular options. There are certain um, I, I don't want to call them magic words, uh, but, you know, there, if if a lender, you know, if a homeowner calls in and says, you know, I'm having a difficult financial situation at the moment, I need help trying to figure out how to make my monthly payments lower, that those words, you know, expressing financial issues and then trying to make your monthly payments lower automatically trigger protections that the mortgage company is supposed to then uh, process an application for loss mitigation, uh, which basically uh, loss mitigation in the mortgage context is um, a mortgage company working with the lender, with the you know with the homeowner, to reduce your monthly payment uh, through modifying the terms of your loan. And if you request that, uh, especially if you request that before the 120 day uh, you know waiting period, which is again set by uh, RESPA, that's a national law. Uh, it's a protection that exists for every homeowner in the country. Uh, that mortgage company is not able to begin foreclosure proceedings until they process your application for loss for uh, for loss mitigation or loan mod. So you call in and you say, "I'm going to have trouble. I'm in f- financial hardship. I'm ha- going to have trouble making my loan payment." Then what what could happen? So if you are uh, within, you know, before that 120-day period, um, there are uh, certain protections that exist. Um, it, you know, first thing I'll say is um, the each company is allowed to define their own application uh, substance and procedure. So, you know, the, what documents they're going to require, what kind of information they need from you in order to determine uh, what your financial situation is. Um, but no matter what, the the actual rules of of how they process that application and the timeline, that is something that's consistent. So uh, within, and I I have, uh, Liz can see me with my computer because some of these dates are a little, or some of these timelines are a little bulky to to, to remember. But um, if you are uh, with it, you know, before 120 days of being delinquent. So again, being delinquent, that's based on your first missed payment. So not, so the first date that it's actually due and you miss it within 120 days, if you uh, complete an application, you are guaranteed a full evaluation of the application. And when I say application, I mean the application to have your loan modified so that you can have a lower monthly payment. Um, you're guaranteed full evaluation, uh, notice of an incomplete en- application. So in other words, if you're missing something uh, that the mortgage company requires in order to review your application, they have to tell you what that is. Um, you're also guaranteed a notice of a complete application you're guaranteed uh, the right to appeal. Uh, and then also they cannot initiate foreclosure until they actually review. And if they deny you until an appeal actually comes through. 
uh, and, and that they actually review your appeal. So all of that happens uh, as long as you get in bef- 120 days after, uh, before, or so w- within 120 days of delinquency. So that's four months. Yep. So if you think in four months you might not be able to make your mortgage payment, you need to call in. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. That it's, it's not if you miss a mortgage payment. If you think you're not going to be able to make a mortgage payment in four months, you need to call in. I completely, I agree. Oh with that. my! Oh, oh, my eyes have just been opened up. We're taking your questions at our email address, legalterms at mpbonline.org. We are talking with Max Meyer from the Mississippi Center for Justice about your rights with loans. We're talking about economic justice. And, you know, maybe you can't listen to this whole show or you want to read up on this subject. I've got a way you can do that. And I'll tell you what that is next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill. We do hope that you'll subscribe to our podcast or, hey, for any of the MPB Think Radio local shows, you can just go to one website mpbonline.org slash radio. You can see all the stuff about all the radio podcasts are all just right there in one place. So if you would like more information on predatory lending concerning payday loans or foreclosure prevention, I've got a website for you, mscenterforjustice.org slash resources. And that four is F-O-R. Y'all kind of play a trick on folks because your Twitter handle has a digit four. But the website, <laughs> the website is fancier and it has F-O-R. So org slash resources. And that link is going to be on this show's information page. Today, we're talking about economic justice with our guest, Max Myers from the Mississippi Center for Justice. I'm just having my eyes opened uh, quite a lot to how proactive y- how proactive you need to be. First off, you need to call your representative and your Mississippi uh, senator and legislator to be proactive about the, the types of laws we have. But then also, if you just think you're kind of if you're not in quicksand, but you're just in sand, <laughs> you haven't started singing yet. You're in sand, not quicksand. That's when you need to get on the phone. Get on the phone with your lender to, to say the magic words that uh, you're going to need a little bit of help. We do have a call. Let's go to Marnesha in Jackson. Marnesha, thanks for calling in today to In Legal Terms. What's your comment or question? Hi, thank you guys so much. Um, I had a question for Attorney Max Myers. Um, I wanted to first thank you so much for sharing all this information as it relates to mortgages. Um, I did have a quick question about whether or not um, any of the RESPA rules also apply to reverse mortgages, and if not, what options do homeowners who have a reverse mortgage have um, in order to remain in their home? Oh, thanks for asking that. Now, reverse mortgages have gotten some kind of older people in trouble, people who may already own their home and then need some cash each month. 
How does how does that work? So I, th- I think of uh, this is a little bit of word association. I suppose I think of Tom Selleck when I think of reverse mortgages <laughs> from all the commercials that uh, that he'd done for him. But um, for so first of all, great question. Thank you very much for calling in, Marnisha. I um, so I'll say quickly what a reverse mortgage is, and then whether it's well, I, I won't I won't hold out to. I'll just say they're not covered by RESPA, and I'll, and I'll talk about what what protections exist. Um, so reverse mortgages are uh, like Liz said. Um, opportunities well, or options for older homeowners uh, typically have to be over the age of 62. Um, and what you're able to do if you own a significant amount, and by that I mean if you actually have paid back uh, uh, more than half of the, of the mortgage amount, so you owe, actually own more than half of your house, you can uh, basically use that as collateral to get money out of that house. And you can use that money to do whatever you want. Uh, for folks that don't have heirs, uh, and for folks that don't plan on you know passing or selling their house in any kind of way while they're still alive, it's a really great idea because you get to live in the house uh, for, you know for however long you're alive. Uh, you get to spend the money that you got from your home, uh, and you don't actually have to pay back any uh, monthly payments for interest rates or for uh, for the principal. Uh, you basically just you know you, you continue to live in your house like normal. Uh, and you spend the money that you have to pay for some things like, um, you know, maintenance fees. You have to maintain the property to make sure that it doesn't lose value. Um, but, you know, you're you're pretty much good to go in that sense. The issue, however, that, that most folks have with reverse mortgages is, and this is probably where the RESPA question comes in, um, after a reverse mortgage holder passes away, uh, and that property goes into heirs property, which I will do a quick plug and say MCJ has a phenomenal heirs property team. So if there's anybody here who has questions about heirs property, um, I'll give out the MCJ number at the end of the show for you to get in touch with our heirs property team too. Um, but when a, when someone inherits a house uh, that has a reverse mortgage on it, uh, typically what that means for the for the person is that that individual is, is on the hook to pay back you know, if it's a $50,000 reverse mortgage, they need they to They have to buy the house. Exactly. Yeah. They, and so, and if it's, and if it's, and RESPA rules don't cover it. So the 120 day foreclosure rules are not uh, protective of uh, reverse mortgages. And then I'll also say that a lot of states, and we're going to start talking about the homeowners assistance funds that came out of ARPA uh, from a couple of, uh, a couple of years ago with one of the COVID stimulus packages. But a lot of states did not include reverse mortgages uh, as a as an, as a covered type of property to get relief on. So in a lot of ways, people are out on a ledge without any kind of safety rope uh, when it comes to dealing with the after effects of a reverse mortgage. Marnisha, did that answer your question? Yes, it did. Thank you so much. We appreciate you calling in. Our guest today is Max Meyer from the Mississippi Center for Justice. We're talking about economic justice, and we've been talking a little bit about uh, payday lenders and uh, foreclosures. And, and, you know, one of the things that we talked about was, was the federal law. But what about, are there any Mississippi programs that can help people in foreclosure? And how does MCJ work with, with those programs? So I'll, I'll start off by saying uh, the sort of the tail end of the the, the legal side and, and the protections that exist after the 120-day period passes in Mississippi, a, in order to foreclose on a property, a mortgage company has to, or an attorney acting on behalf of the mortgage company often is how it happens, um, they have to, for three weeks consistently, uh, they have to send notices of the foreclosure sale. So they actually set a date 
so it has to be – typically it's 30 days in advance. Uh, and then in addition to doing three consecutive uh, notice postings in the local newspaper where the property is listed, they also have to post a notice on the courthouse door. Um, they don't need to go through the courts. Uh, they don't need to get a judicial order uh, foreclosing on the property. Uh, that is that is the bare bones. And, and after that, you know, on the foreclosure sale, when that goes through, it is pretty much uh, – it, it, so I'm going to talk about the negative, and then I'll talk about the, the, the more the optimistic, up, uplifting side of things. But just to kind of pile on to the, to the negative, I'll also mention that Mississippi – does not uh, allow for redemption after sale. So once that property is sold, uh, Mississippi is a state that does not allow. Let's say uh, I don't have money. You can to, use me. Okay, this is Liz. Let's say that Liz, uh, you know, doesn't have money today. The foreclosure sale is tomorrow on Wednesday. Uh, still doesn't have the money, and then on Thursday you win the lottery and you actually all of a sudden have all the money that you need in order to to pay off that house. Because that sale already happened, you are not able to go essentially back in time. And change that. Other states do allow for that. Mississippi does not. Um, another thing that makes foreclosure particularly harsh for homeowners in Mississippi is the a deficiency judgment. Mississippi allows for these. Uh, what a deficiency judgment is is let's say again, Liz, let's say that you uh, owe three hundred thousand dollars on a house. Whoa! Okay. Uh, and, <laughs> and you are uh, you know, and you only have uh, and the house only sells for two hundred thousand. So you still there's still a hundred thousand dollars. That is out floating around. Uh, you, the the mortgage company is actually able to get a judgment from a court to make you on the hook for that additional hundred thousand dollars. So not only do you lose your house, but you're also now you have this staggering judgment against you where you owe a bunch of money on top. Well, and of I I also bet that the bank doesn't watch all these HGTV shows on how to stage a house to get the most money out of it. So when they sell it. They're probably, you know, taking anything, and if it's a low-ball offer, they would probably accept it rather than worrying. Well, I guess they want to get as much money, you know, as they're they've lost. But if if I owed three hundred thousand dollars on the house and they sell it for four hundred thousand, I don't I don't get to keep the extra hundred. Right. Yeah. And it's one of those things where, yeah, exactly. They, they, you know, their top interest is just getting rid of that house. And with a deficiency judgment in their pocket, they don't care whether they sell that house for, you know, 50,000 or 150,000. It's, it's because at the end of the day, they know they're going to get that money back. Um, so uh, with that uh, sort of, you know, the negative harshness and the negativity, I, I will say uh, there are some, you know, bright spots in Mississippi um, the Homeowners Assistance Fund half uh, program is something that was created by the federal government during the, uh, the most recent COVID stimulus bill in 2021. Uh, and what that does is it gives each state uh, a chunk of change to create their own Homeowners Assistance Fund program. In Mississippi, that program is called the Home Saver Plus program. Um, I could spend, uh, you know, minutes and minutes talking about this. So I want to make sure that, you know, that we uh, have time for our next break. Um, but basically, for fo- currently, our Homeowners Assistance Fund, the uh, Home Saver Plus program is actually closed. It's, it's suspended. So it's not taking any new applications at the moment. Uh, what that means is that if you are someone who is going through a foreclosure crisis at the moment, Mississippi's Home Saver Plus program is not going to actually be able to protect you or to help you at all. Uh, what MCJ is looking for, though, is for folks who may have applied, and, and they've been closed since December 15th. Um, but if you are someone who had opened 
an application previous to December 15th, uh, or if you have your application pending right now, um, then uh, you know we, we can talk a little bit later in the show about ways to try to get you still enrolled in that program. Let's go to Julie in Mobile. Julie, we're glad that you've called in today. What's your comment or question for our guest, Max Meyer? Well, it's probably kind of unusual. Um, uh, house destroyed by hurricane, loan taken out, granted by Small Business Administration, uh, over 20 years old, repaid always on time, if not early. During the COVID virus, uh, there was a two-year plus or minus a couple of months hiatus on payments regarding that. In the meantime, uh, neighbors who may or may not, I'm not sure what they're trying to do, except that it's a piece of property that they'd like to have. Uh, Meanwhile, I still have all the records. (laughs) I still have all the title and, you know, the deed and the, Yada da da da, and the tax stuff, and whatever. Um, uh, should I worry? So, so um, I, you mentioned a couple things that I just want to draw attention to. One is the foreclosure, or sorry, the uh, the COVID forbearance. That exists. No, 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 no foreclosure. No forbearance, to my knowledge. Julie, he said forbearance. I, I meant to say forbearance, ex- exactly. Yeah. And so that, um, Julie, you mentioned that over, you know, during the months or during the years of COVID, there were um, there was a forbearance, meaning uh, essentially a, a period of time where foreclosures were prohibited. Uh, people were not allowed, you know, uh, lenders were not able to pursue that as an option. Um, that was something that was set by the CFPB. That's since expired. So, you know, as I can attest to, you know, we deal with lots of foreclosures now at the moment. Um, but it sounds like sort of the more deeper root of the question is what are some ways to protect against foreclosure uh, now that the forbearance period has been lifted? Um, so the first thing I would say is making sure that you're, you know, it, keeping track of the payments that you're making on your end. So, you know, it's always great. You know, you send off your payments each month and you know that your company, you know, that you're, you expect your company, your mortgage company is actually receiving those. But you need to be keeping your own record of that because if for some reason there is, uh, if you sense a discrepancy between what you think you've paid versus what the mortgage company says, um, you actually have another right under RESPA is that you're able to send a qualified written request, uh, more magic words that you can use. But basically, if you send in a qualified written request uh, citing a notice of error, uh, you are able to request documents from your mortgage company that they are required by law to give you uh, accounting records, as well as any other types of notices that they may have sent you in the past that you didn't get. So that's that's crucial, I would say, is that if you are sensing any kind of discrepancy in, in what your records indicate versus what uh, the mortgage company does. You should definitely send in a qualified written report, uh, qualified written request asking for a notice of, of error. Um, and then beyond that, I would say making sure that your address and contact information are current. That way, if you are you know someone that's getting notices that they're being sent to you, so that you can you know um, again to go back to my handy handy dandy little uh, site. You know, within 36 days of delinquency, uh, the mortgage company is required to attempt live contact, so a telephone call, 
uh, with with the homeowner by the 45th day of delinquency, the mortgage company is actually required to send written notice as well as assign a particular person, a representative to the homeowner. Um, so you know those those are well before the 120 days, and really those that those uh, points on the timeline are exist to prevent you know people from going too far down the road to foreclosure. Julie, did that help? <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, I very this is very helpful, and I will take it under advisement. Thank All right, you, sir. we're glad that you've called in. In Legal Terms takes your questions on our email address, legalterms at mpbonline.org. We are learning about consumer protection and economic justice. We're going to get to uh, those of you who might have a, a Home Saver Plus application pending. We've been talking with Max Myers from the Mississippi Center for Justice. Hey, do we have any Tupelo fans listening? I've got some information just for you. That's next. Thank you for being part of In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show on MPB Think Radio's YouTube channel. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. At 11 a.m. Central on Tuesdays, following our over-the-air broadcast, you can hear Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. Okay, where are my Tupelo in legal term fans? The Lee County Circuit Court affirmed the city of Tupelo's plan to build affordable housing. Yay, yay. You can read more about it on the Mississippi Center for Justice's website or our website where we'll have that link. We're talking today with Max Meyer from the Mississippi Center for Justice. He's going to tell us about a program you can't apply for, but you might have already applied for it and thought you were out of luck, but you're not necessarily out of luck. Tell us about this uh, Home Saver Plus program. Absolutely. So uh, just like Liz said, it's, you know, it's one of these things like learning that the, what is it, like the circus came to town last weekend uh, is, you know, good news to have, but doesn't really help you very much. Um, But for folks who applied or filled out an application previous to December 15th of 2022 for the Home Saver Plus program, uh, the information I'm going to tell you right now might might actually be pretty helpful for you. So at the outset, I'll say uh, Home Saver Plus program provides up to $50,000 for Mississippi homeowners who are facing foreclosure. Um, that it can be used both to bring people current. So you know if you owe twenty thousand dollars from the last you know couple of years of not paying, uh, it, it can pay that off. And then it also provides up to six months of ongoing future facing payments uh, for people to stay current in their uh, in their mortgages. But uh, because of the popularity of the program and just the the demand. Uh, from Mississippi homeowners, the Home Saver team uh, closed the application portal December 15th, and they've not reopened it, which means that new applications are not being accepted. But if you're someone who had your application 
uh, submitted previously to that. And if it was denied or closed for some reason, uh, get in touch with our office. We've been able to work with people to get that reopened, uh, which can be, uh, a, I mean, a, a lifeline basically to keep people in their home. And then beyond that, if your application has been pending, uh, you know, like I said, 120 days can go by pretty quickly. So if the if you have a uh, Home Saver Plus application that's been um, you know pending for a couple months and you you know you need some support, get in touch with my office. Talk to me directly at six zero one seven zero nine two one four one. Again, six zero one seven zero nine two one four one, and we can uh, you know coach you through how to actually get your application processed uh, quicker. Um, and then I'll also mention, if, if possible, before we leave, I, for all our Tupelo listeners, I do have some foreclosure prevention workshops that uh, that I'd like to announce before the end of the show. Oh, please. You know, go ahead. Tell oh. us what those dates are now. Well, if you are in the Northeast Mississippi area, I've got a real treat for you. Uh, my team and I are going to be uh, in um, Tupelo on April 3rd at St. James Catholic Church from 5.30 p.m. to 7 p.m., uh, we will be, that's a Monday. We will then be in Iuka at the Mineral Springs Park Community Center uh, on April 4th, also from 5.30 to 7 p.m. And then on Wednesday, April 5th, we will be in Okalona at the Excel Incorporated uh, on 230 West Main Street. Uh, you don't need to register uh, to actually attend, but if you want to get in touch ahead of time to just, you know, to let us know you're going to be there to make sure that we're going to have time to meet with you independently uh, to discuss any kind of, uh, you know, foreclosure issues you might have or just we've had folks bring, you know, mortgages that they're looking to sign and we look over the contracts with you. Uh, you can get in touch directly uh, with our office at 769-230-2828. Again, that's 769 230 2828. Uh, and that is to learn more about our foreclosure prevention workshops in Northeast Mississippi. Professor Gershon, what, uh, what did you want to ask? I just want to ask what, you know, people probably want to know, what does it cost to use the services of MCJ? So we are, uh, we are a nonprofit free law firm. Uh, we don't have fees for our services. Um, so, you know, all of our consultations are free, any kind of uh, you know, petitions that we, we do a lot of expungement work as well on the economic justice team uh, with our deputy director, Charity Bruce, uh, who handles hundreds and hundreds of expungements every year. That work is all done uh, on a free basis. Uh, we even help people complete applications to have the courts waive the fees uh, so that some of these things can be done completely free of charge. And as much as we would like to bump Dr. Buttress from the next hour, we are not allowed to. But I did want to say, give a recap real quick. They got an email. It was somebody who said they they the they were coming after him for a old loan, but it wasn't him. It wasn't. It was a scam. So. If you are in financial debt, keep up with what debt is really yours. And just because you have a lot of debt, don't believe someone when they say you owe even more. Be be very careful. Max, thank you so much. We appreciate your mission and your service and coming on the show today. Thank you very much, Liz. And thank you, Professor Gershon. I really appreciated the opportunity. That wraps up for today's In Legal Terms. Our team consists of uh, Jay White, and we've had uh, Jermaine Flood and Kevin Farrell helping us out and Jermaine is also our podcast producer so for Professor Gershon I'm Liz Gill thanks for listening to In Legal Terms this is an MPB Think Radio podcast 
To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.